join together in prayer. Dear Lord, we all hope. We hope for a great life. We hope for the, for the future that we have in our mind. And, and sometimes life shatters dreams, shatters hopes. The good news is that hope found in you will never die. Again on the cross, that hope continued with the empty tomb. That hope continues with the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the church, first in Jerusalem, then it spread out to here right now. The power of the Holy Spirit in worship, the power of the Holy Spirit in community, in relationships, the power of the Holy Spirit in God's Word, spoken out. Now I pray that you would continue to break any walls that are holding back your word or blocking our heart. Pray you continue to break uh, maybe false hopes that are in our mind. That you, by your spirit, would lead us to the true hope found in Jesus. That will never die. Hope will allow us to never die. And be together forever with you. To reign with you. Thank you, Jesus, for the promise of the cross and saving us for the resurrection that gives us life for eternity. In your name we pray. Amen. Y'all can be seated. If you have your Bibles, uh, turn it, if it's not already there, to Matthew 26 that Joseph read. Bibles are on your pews. And you're welcome, if you don't have a Bible, to take that home. We, we give out Bibles here. We'd love for you. If you have a Bible, we'll, we'll order as many as we need. Now, we're in this series that we're calling Last Night. And we are looking uh, at the scenes that Jesus walked through leading to the cross. And so we are, we're not literally, because we're not there, but spiritually, uh, we are walking with Him to the cross. And we're doing this series for a couple reasons. One, to hope, hope that Easter is more profound and powerful and impactful for you this year, but also to understand why. I mean, we, we focus on the cross, and then we focus on the resurrection. You know, but all this happened between the Last Supper and the cross. And we want to see why these things happen and understand them more so that Easter will, I believe, be more powerful for us. Joseph read to you about Jesus on trial. The last two weeks we've been in the Garden of Gethsemane, and today we see Jesus as He stands before uh, the Jewish Sanhedrin, basically the high court, high council of Judaism and Jewish law. And some of you may ask, well, why does He have to go here? I mean, isn't it something about Pilate, and Pilate crucifies Him? Yes, we're getting to that next week, actually. But first, Jesus, as a Jew, was accused of breaking Jewish law. Now, the elders, the Pharisees, had set a trap for him, and they had met before, two nights, I believe, before, and set this trap and used Judas, who we talked about last week, and now the trap was sprung. And Jesus was there, standing before the high priest, this man named Caiaphas, and you know, their, their vision was to send him to the cross, and that's where Jesus is moving. Now, I want to do two things today in this passage. I want to show how this passage connects to some Old Testament Scripture and see the connections and the fulfillment of prophecy. Again, that's the why Jesus had to go through this and see how it connects to our life today in the here and now. 
I believe we see three types of people in this passage. I call them three men, but when I say man, it means everybody, so just take that. But they happen to be men in this passage. There's the fake man, there's the frightened man, and there's the false man. And we're going to see all three. But before we get to them, it first says in verse 57, those who had seized Jesus led him to Caiaphas. I want you to know this. I I did not know this until I studied this passage uh, in the past week. They led Jesus from the garden to the high priest. And what is fascinating, that the exact route, the exact road that they led Jesus from the garden to the high priest was called the Sheep Gate. And it is where people, Jews, would go and take the sheep and lead the sheep that would be sacrificed to the high priest first. And Jesus is, we sing about, you may have heard this phrase, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So if you can imagine, the Lamb of God was going the exact route that they would sacrifice, as he would be sacrificed to stand before the high priest. And the reason he stood before the high priest was that he had to stand before the high priest to fulfill Scripture. Look up on screen, Leviticus 17.5. I don't throw out Leviticus a lot here. You may say, well, you should. I don't know. But anyway, here's Leviticus 17.5. The people of Israel may bring their sacrifices... That would be Jesus now. That they sacrifice in the open field. They may bring them to the Lord. To the priest. Jesus is going before the priest. At the entrance of the tent of meeting. And sacrifice them as sacrifices of peace offerings to the Lord. This is what Jesus is doing. He's walking as the sacrifice. As the Lamb of God. To stand before the high priest. To fulfill scripture. To be our sacrifice. Now, he stands before Caiaphas, and Caiaphas is that first guy I talked about, the fake man. We see this type in Scripture in Caiaphas. We see him uh, in our lives today. Caiaphas was, he was the high priest. He was the big dog. He, he was the main, the main dude. And so he led the Sanhedrin, the Jewish court, but he hid. He was fake. And what I mean by that. He hid in his religion. He hid in his good works. He hid in his good appearances. He hid perfect prayers. And Jesus doesn't have good things to say about the Pharisees. I'm not going to quote this scripture, but previously in Matthew, he called the Pharisees, you know, nice uh, things, sarcasm, hypocrites, uh, and even worse, serpents. Said these guys are snakes. So here's the head snake. Jesus is standing before him, and he hides behind how he looks, how he acts, how he appears. Today, uh, we have fake men uh, and women. Uh, I mean, many of us probably know them, probably know at least one. People who hide behind uh, good looks, um, good dress, uh, good appearances, even hide uh, behind their good works, uh, maybe act like the good Christian, uh, maybe good prayers. Uh, you may know what I'm talking about, you may not. Let me give you two quick examples. These were things told to me uh, by certain members of the congregation, not going to name names, so don't worry about that. But uh, one example, true story, would be uh, this gentleman in a three-piece suit who goes to Sunday lunch. Maybe it's in a nice restaurant, maybe it's at the country club. 
and gets into an argument uh, because he does not get the seat or the table that he wants. Uh, then gets in an argument with the waiter or waitress because uh, they don't bring him uh, the right order or they somehow mess it up. And he's come from church where he's looking good and sounding good. And then he basically betrays you know, everything that the true church, the church of Christ, would teach. Someone who hides behind religion, hides behind the church, hides even behind Jesus. Another example would be, somebody else could be a man, a woman, who, who gives a speech, gives a testimony of, of their life. And in this testimony, and, and y'all may have heard uh, similar ones like this, I mean I have, talks all about how Jesus basically made them rich uh, and made them have this great life and all of a sudden catapulted you know, their career and their job and now they take uh, full exotic vacations and they're rolling in the money and you know, Jesus changed their life and, and this is, wow, really how he changed it. I've heard testimonies like that. Some of y'all may have. Now, now first off, I, I like nice suits so, and, and I like nice vacations and all that uh, when we can take them. And that's great. That's not what Jesus is about in looks, appearances. And Jesus, you know, he, he blesses somebody, some people, uh, with very good things. But it's not about Jesus, how he made me rich, how he made me wealthy, how he gives me all these nice things. So there are people, I call them fake, who hide behind these things. Now, let me speak from my heart. Not that I wouldn't, but this is like really from my heart. Uh, my, the main prejudice that I deal with, and we all have our prejudices, is against these, these types of folks. And God really convicts me over and over again. I was thinking about, you know, because it's easy to preach about that and say, yeah, you know, they're fake. Yeah, those are, you know, they're fake, you know, blah, blah, blah. We're real. We're real Christians. But God convicts me, and he says, you know, you've got to call them to the altar too. You've got to invite them to the altar too. A, a story that uh, maybe has the, had the most influence on my life is the prodigal son, the parable. And there, God calls the elder brother, who would be this guy, the fake guy, the fake man, hiding behind his good works and his religion, and the younger brother, who is you know, the guy who ends up eating with pigs and you know, living in hedonism. So I naturally relate to the younger brother, and God convicts me. I want the elder brother too. And, and their hearts are heavy, and their hearts need the love of Christ. So I say that, to say that these people who hide, you know, behind looks, works, we've got to reach out and love them. We've got to invite them, not just to church, but to the altar, to Jesus. So that's one type that's here. The other type is the frightened man. The frightened man. This is Peter. I talked about Peter last week. Poor Peter, man, he's just having a bad night. I mean, just not a good night. I mean, he's already, you know, cut off a soldier's ear, and then Jesus heals. He's about to deny Jesus. And here, it says, verse 58, Peter was following him at a distance, as far as the courtyard of the high priest. Following at a distance, following from afar. And how often can we be the frightened man or person? And we say, we follow Jesus, but we really follow him at a distance. Because we know that if we're all in, Put our chips all in there with Jesus. And if we, we truly follow him and go where Jesus is, it may harm our reputation. Uh, it might harm 
our, our circle of friends, or we may not have as many friends. Uh, we certainly might not get, as that other testimony, you know, wealthy and have exotic vacations. We may suffer. We may suffer from following Jesus. So we say, okay, I'll follow him, but it, it's from a distance. We straddle a fence. I, I lived a big part of my life straddling a fence. And it was because I was afraid. I was afraid that, you know, if I was truly all in for Jesus, uh, I would be you know, maybe ridiculed or made fun of or, you know, not cool or, you know, all, all of these things or, or, you know, not invited, you know, that he's, you know, he, he's that, um, that Christian guy, like really Christian. And so we're, we're fearful. And we follow him. We follow him from a distance. And what happens is, as we follow him from a distance, we end up putting ourselves in bad positions and in bad places where it is easy for us to fall prey into temptation. And this is exactly what happens to our brother Peter. He follows from afar, from a distance. He doesn't go in. Actually, another passage says that John does go in. He stays back, he hangs back, and he sits right there, probably around a campfire with these guards who just arrested Jesus and not only want to see him on trial, but see him hanging from a cross. And they're the ones that start quizzing Peter and he falls into denial. You're like, well, how can that happen to me? Here's how it happens to me. We follow from afar. And so then we're like, okay, I'm going to hang back. And then, you know, we get invited. Let me just use the example parts. We get invited to the parties. We're like, yeah, I'm going to go. I follow Jesus. But, you know, I can still go to this party. And it makes it very easy for us to uh, do that shot or, or to dance that dance or to hang around uh, these folks who we need to be loving on. Yes, we need to be witnessing to, but yet we follow them afar and we're not going to totally go all out. And so we just kind of morph into that crowd, into that crew. And not only are we tempted, but we fall into temptation, we fall back. One of my favorite verses, Psalms 1.1. David's first verse, first psalm, says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. When we hang back, when we follow from afar, we end up often sitting in the seat uh, with scoffers. And it is easy to fall into temptation and sin before we realize it. Because of our fear. Because we don't want to go all in. So there's a fake man. There's a fright man. Whom I have been many times. Let me just say that. And then there's the false man. The false man. Or false people. Here it says they found uh, many false witnesses came forward. At last two came forward. And they accused Jesus of saying, I am able to destroy the temple of God and rebuild it in three days. So two false witnesses. What I mean when I say the false person is those people who say lies about Jesus. Because see, there's truth, and then there's false. Like, what do you mean saying lies about Jesus? The person who would say, and maybe this has been said to you, Jesus can't really help you. I mean, he's not going to get you that job. Uh, He's not going to help you fix your marriage. I mean, Jesus, yeah, he died, rose again, but he's not here now. I mean, Jesus can't help you. Church can't help you. I mean, church is good and it's nice, but why should you really go? Church can't help you. And sometimes this can be a person, 
saying those lies, as it is here. But actually, the, the real person is the original liar, Satan. In Scripture, Satan is called the liar, the deceiver. And what happens is Satan, the devil, he'll whisper into your ears and he'll say, Jesus can't really help you. You really don't need to go to church. Or he'll say, probably this afternoon, uh, to some of us, he'll probably say this to me, this couch is really comfortable. This basketball game is really good. You need to rest. You, you don't need to go to small group. Just hang here. It's been a hard day. You preached. You're good. You whispers. You ever had that? Heard that? And we'll hear it. And sometimes we'll believe the false, the lies. We believe the lie. Or we'll whisper it to some other person. Say with a gift of vocal cords and speech, and they'll say it blatantly. And often what happens too is just like these two false witnesses, they'll manipulate the truth of God's word, will twist the words of Jesus. Jesus said, you know, I can destroy the temple and rebuild it, which he did say, and they used that against him. But if, you, you know, if you're not as familiar with Scripture here today, what Jesus actually meant is in John 2.21, it should be up on screen, he was speaking about the temple of his body. He was saying, I can destroy it and it will be raised again in three days. But what false people say, liars, They'll twist phrases, manipulate it for their own desires. And again, it's from the liar, the deceiver, the original one, Satan. So there's the fake man. There's the frightened man. There's the false. And then there is the forgotten man, whom we forget in our everyday lives, and he is Jesus. And he is the one we see here. He speaks... We forget what he did. We forget what he said. We forget what he will do. It's like, well, how do we forget Jesus? We're here. We forget all that he's done. We forget how he suffered, all that he took on. Go to Isaiah, and again, showing how this ties to Old Testament Scripture, how the cross ties. Isaiah 53, 4 through 7. It's going to be up on screen. This is Jesus that Isaiah is talking about. Look what he did. Look what he went through. Look how he suffered. We forget this. It's one of the most famous passages articulating everything that Jesus went through for you, for us. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed, crushed, for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to slaughter. And like a sheep before its shears is silent. So he opened not his mouth. We see here Jesus is silent before he speaks. He's being tried. He's being charged. He's being mocked. He's being persecuted. He stands silent. All his followers have gone astray. Peter, the leader, follows from afar. He stands silent. And then he speaks. He speaks. 
Caiaphas asks him a question, actually manipulates the question, because he knows that Jesus would have to answer it and basically hang himself. And so he says, yes, I am the Son of God. Why does Jesus answer here? One, because he, he has to tell the truth. He is truth. Two, he knows it will lead him to suffering, which he has to do for us. And as an example, for us, for his disciples. I think about those early Christians, the early disciples in Acts, and the first church who were stood trial and said, do you believe in Jesus, that he is the Messiah? And if you say yes, you will be martyred, you will be killed. Many times in a very bad way. Peter, crucified, upside down. You know, Colosseum in Rome, lines. I mean, that's the real deal. And they remembered the testimony of the Master. When he stood and accused, he was not silent. He said, yes. And we say, yes, we follow Jesus. We have no fear. In him, fear is pushed aside. And what did he say? He said, yes, he's the Son of God. But then he moves on and he says, you will see the Son of Man. Son of God. He's God's Son. Son of Man, that he is the incarnate the second person of the Trinity, Emmanuel. We talk a lot about this at Christmas, God with us. God coming to us in the flesh as a person who walked, talked, lived, breathed, laughed, cried here with us and then died for us and then rose again so we would have life and defeated death, the Son of Man. Then he goes further and he says, and you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of God and coming in power. And he is saying this, tying it to, again, Scripture in the Old Testament. Daniel 7, 13 and 14. And these priests, the Sanhedrin, Caiaphas, when he said this, this is where their minds went. They knew what he was talking about. He was claiming to be this. He is this. It says, Behold, with the cloud, and there came one like a son of man, and he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him, Jesus, was given dominion and glory, and a kingdom, that all peoples, nations, languages should serve Him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and His kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. We forget He is truly the forgotten man because we forget everything that He went through, what we saw in Isaiah, and we forget how He will come again in glory and in power. We see Jesus, we believe Jesus, but we forget how He can save us, we forget how He can transform us. We forget that we will literally be raised to new life in Him. We forget that all languages, nations, peoples will bow before Him. We forget He is the forgotten man. I stand here to preach and proclaim for us to remember by God's Word, in God's Word, who He is, what He has done, what He will do for you. So the question is, what is our response? What is your response to the forgotten man? Will you remember? Jesus always convicts us to have a response. We all respond somehow. We may respond by following from a distance. There are two very clear responses here after he says this. And it is, to me, so revealing, indicative of like the son, because you have the elder brother and the younger brother, again, right here. One response is the high priest who tears his clothes. 
And he says, no. And whether he's saying, I can't hide behind my religion or my good works, or whether he's saying, you know, I reject this, I'm going to stand behind how holy I am, because actually when he tears his clothes, that was a holier-than-thou move. And then, like the younger brother and prodigal son, been spit at him, slapping him in the face. So like people today, like, Jesus, you really can't help me. Jesus, you really can't save me. Okay, I get some life insurance, but I mean, like, really save me, like, when it matters. In depression, in cancer, in my marriage. Jesus, I don't really believe you can go there. So we spit at him, slap him in the face. There's always a response. What I hope a response will be today is to be the forgiven man or woman, forgiven people, forgiven. People always ask, you know, what is salvation? How, how, do we, how, do you, how do we get saved? And yes, it's a prayer in your heart. I mean, yes, it's a response. Yes, it's a receiving. Salvation is saying, Jesus, I need you. Forgive me. Forgive me for being fake. Forgive me for being frightened. Forgive me for listening to false truths. Help me not forget what you have done, what you are doing right now, and what you will do in coming again, in renewing and restoring totally this broken world. Help me not forget what is salvation. It is asking for forgiveness. It is saying, help me not... Forget what you have done. And I lean on you and I trust in you. Lean on 2 Corinthians 5.21. 2 Corinthians 5.21. For our sake, for your sake, for your sake, He made Him who knew no sin. Jesus lived the perfect life. He died the perfect death. Who knew no sin to become sin, to totally and completely become our sin, so that in Him, in Him, in Him, we might, and it does say might, become the righteousness of God. That is the gospel. That is the truth. That is what He has done. And I don't want the might. I want it to be a reality for you. That you may become righteousness, right living, sons and daughters of God. In Him, in Jesus. I pray we'd ask for forgiveness. I pray we'd ask that God would not help us forget who He is, what He's done, what He will do. Perhaps you need to ask that for the first time today for forgiveness, that you would not forget. Perhaps you would need to ask it again. We're going to offer you an opportunity to do so. We pray that you will. Say, forgive me, Lord, as we come to the Lord's table. Say, help me not forget what you have done. And help me walk, be raised up in new life with a new purpose by you, for you, in you. Let's pray together. Dear Lord, I thank you for, thank you for your word that speaks truth. I thank you for these, these scenes as you move to the cross that speak so much about what you've done, about who you are. 
I pray that we would not forget. We would not forget your love for us. We would not forget you taking on our sin. We would not forget that only in you there is forgiveness. And so I pray. I pray you forgive me when I'm fake. I pray you forgive me when I'm frightened. I pray you forgive me when I listen to false truths. And I pray every day not to forget what you've done and to live in that and not in my works or not in any gifting or not in what I've done or we've done but in what you've done. Pray that for these people, for those who are depressed, for those who do have a physical illness, for those who are searching, for those who are beginning a new marriage, for those who are, you are restoring their marriage. Pray this for them, that they would not forget that you're there. You're, you're in it. You're in the situation. You're in the nitty-gritty. And you're here now. May we worship you. May we seek your forgiveness. And we know that we'll receive it for salvation. In Jesus' name, amen.